Well, uh, as we start out today, let me ask you this. Here's a great question for you to think about. Um, What would be the greatest gift that someone can give to you? What would be the greatest gift? If you could ask for anything, what would it be? It's fun to kind of think about this and think, what would we answer? How would we answer that? Some of us, how many of us would say, well, I just want good health. I want good health. I want a long life. Just, just health. Give me good health. It might be, I'd love to travel. Like, just take me to a beach and let me put my feet in the sand. That'd be great. Maybe for you, it's like, well, I'd love money. Just give me some money and let me take care of the things I have in front of me. That would be wonderful, be the greatest gift. Uh, Maybe you get in and say, well, world peace. If we could find world peace, that would be the greatest gift that I could receive. You know, I was thinking about that question, thinking about how I'd answer it. And all those answers are good answers, whatever it happens to be. But every one of those things, I would not want to enjoy alone. Right? I mean, think about this. If you got good health, Chances are, you don't want good health to be a hermit in your house by yourself. For me, if I have good health, I want to live a long life and grow old with my wife. I want to watch my kids grow up, and I want to watch my grandkids and great-grandkids. If I have good health, I want to share that with people. If I have travel, if I get to travel, I do want to go and put my feet in the sand with a fruity drink in my right hand and my pretty wife on my left side. And a good friend walking with me as we travel the world. You think about, you think about money and, and, and peace. All those things. I may not want to share with everybody. But chances are I want to have some people with me to experience those things along with me. And I think we could say that this is true. As we think about the greatest gift, about it being money or health or security... Probably the greatest gift is not any of those things. The greatest gift is relationships. Because every one of those things, we want to have someone with us. We want to have someone alongside to share this with. So I would say that relationships are our greatest gift. But why are they so hard? Right? Why are they so stinking hard? I mean, you just look around us, you look at the world around us, even in Christian circles, And we see just how difficult relationships are. Homes that are shattered by divorce. We see it all around us. Homes where the couple is still married, but they're not happy. Those homes are are, are, are tense battlegrounds instead of being a loving refuge uh, of community. Relationships where kids have exasperated the parents, and the parents have exasperated the kids. Relationships are hard. And then you look at this, you look at even in Christian circles, you've got Christians who go from church to church to church and they leave behind them a path of broken relationships and dysfunction behind them. And then we look at the season that we've been in, in our country and in our world the last year, couple years. So much division. We've got all these things. We've got politics and the pandemic and, and all this pride. And we've got Christians, we've got Christians who will not talk with one another because they're arguing over these trivial matters. They're arguing over these things. Listen, there are some in this room right now as we talk about how difficult relationships are, you are thinking specifically of this relationship. I've got this broken relationship. I've got this dysfunction. I've got this going on. And you feel the burden right now. 
because you know exactly what we're talking about. The thing about relationships, one of the things, again, I love doing weddings. And when I do a wedding, I get to have an opportunity to meet with a couple and kind of share them some wisdom, try and point them to some uh, truth about God to help build a foundation in their marriage. And one of the things that I will say in marriage, and this is true of any relationship, is relationships are going to be the hardest thing you do, but they can also be the most rewarding thing. They are the hardest because anytime you put two people in a relationship, you've put two sinners, you've doubled the sin, right? You've doubled the sin because there's two people in a relationship. But when it comes to what is the most rewarding, again, if you do the hard work, there's nothing better. There's nothing better in a relationship to have that love, that companionship, that friendship. This uh, month of January here at Restoration Church, we're in a series that we're calling, It's All About Relationships, where we're saying that our life and our faith is all about our relationships. It's all about our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And so we started this series to have some conversations about how we can grow these relationships, how we can grow closer to God, and how we can improve our relationships with one another. Last week, we talked about how we can grow our relationship with God. And it was, a, it was a great opportunity because there's a difference between us knowing God and God actually knowing us. Isn't that such a tremendous thought? Where we can know about God, we can know some things about God, but is it completely different than God actually knowing us? Because so often what we do in relationships in general is we know other people, but we keep them at arm's distance. Well, I'll know you, but I'm going to keep you a distance away so you don't, have to, you don't get to know the nitty-gritty of what's going on in my life because it's easier for you not to know me. And honestly, that's sometimes what we do with God. Sure, I know a lot about you, God, but I'm not going to open myself up to you. We ask that question, do you know God? It's not enough for you to know God. Does God actually know you? Today, we're going to talk about the prescription for healthy relationships. Our healthy interpersonal relationships. Our text today that Jackie read for us, Colossians chapter 3, is a, a great passage of Scripture. It's a great passage where Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians and saying, listen, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that means that you have laid aside the old man. Which means that each of us, we have this worldly and this sinful nature that's natural to us. It's natural to us. And we lay that aside, and we're no longer defined by that worldly, sinful nature, that old man. And because of that, our text said, in verse 5, it says, we put to death some negative and worldly attitudes. Verse 5, you put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed. Whereas a Christian, these things should no longer define our lives. But then he gets a little bit more specific. Those are general. Then he gets a little bit more specific into the conversation we're having today about relationships. And he's going to say, these are some things that should not define your relationships. In verse 8, these are things that destroy relationships that should not define a Christian's relationships. Number one, anger. Number two, wrath. Malice. Slander. Obscene talk. Verse 9, lies and deceit. Let's be honest here. You and I, left to our own devices, 
to our own wisdom. These are often the things that define our relationships. These are the ways that we operate in the world with one another. And listen, these may not all apply to your life, but let me ask you this. When you look at your life and your relationships, which one of those would you say defines you? Which one of those do you struggle with the most that is still present in your life? Are you dealing with anger? Do you deal with wrath? Do you have a quick temper? Do you deal with malice? Which just means, are you mean? Are you mean in your communication? Do you slander? Do you have obscene talk? (laughs) Listen, we're talking today about a prescription for healthy relationships. And part of that prescription is how we begin to put off these negative characteristics that often define our relationships. Which means these are things that we should see less of. These are things that when we see this in our relationships, we ought to repent of and say, I'm sorry, I'm working on changing this. And at the same time, while we put these things off, Paul says there's some new things that we need to pursue. This is new clothes that we put on, these new characteristics, these new qualities that should define our relationships. And that is what we're going to spend most of our time talking about today. The qualities that should define our relationships. All right, I think we got, maybe we'll get that figured out. All right, the first quality that should define our relationships, number one, is that our relationships should be characterized by a heart of compassion. A heart of compassion. This is an emotional term. This is not something that you feel in your head. This means it comes from the heart. It comes from inside of you. So you look at someone's circumstances and their humanity... And you feel some empathy. You are moved based on who they are and what they are going through. You move to respond in an emotional way. In fact, the best way that I've seen described for what does it mean for us to have compassion. uh, Dr. John Perkins, who was a civil rights activist in the 1960s. I met him in the year 2000. He had started this organization that uh, created ministries all across inner city, urban, uh, at-risk uh, youth centers throughout the country. And I, and, I, and I heard him say this. He said this. He wrote about a time in the 1960s when he was sick. He was incredibly discouraged because of the, the, the race issues he was dealing with. And he was contemplating giving up the struggle for civil rights. Struggling through it. And he talked about a time that he met this theology professor. And this is what he wrote. This is what he said. He said, he, the, the, the theology professor, he met me on my level of humanity. Not just the theological level preferred by so many church folks. He met me in my humanity. Listen, when you think about your relationships, maybe those difficult relationships, how different would it be if we actually thought about people in their humanity? When we thought about, man, what are you going through? What's your experience? Why are you doing this? Why are you acting the way you are? And you considered their humanity. I mean, you think about your teenagers. How how much different would it be with us as we relate to our teenagers if we thought about the emotional roller coasters that teenagers go through as their hormones go up and down? How would it change how we uh, uh, feel towards our teenagers? When you actually have the humanity to think, listen, what does a leader have to, what kind of weight and burdens does a leader carry? 
Because maybe that would cause me to have compassion on a leader and respond differently to the leaders over me. What about the burdens a wife carries for the future of her family? Again, it's looking at somebody's humanity, looking at their background, looking at the experience of what they're walking through right then that would cause them to believe different or act the way they are. See, we've got to get to the point that we, we, we see one another and we have this compassion. We can look into their humanity. And chances are, if we're lacking compassion for one another, it's because we're too busy looking at ourselves and not looking at other people. Because for us to have compassion means we have to be other-centered. We actually have to think and consider what other people are going through. The first characteristic of a healthy relationship is a heart of compassion. Second characteristic that should uh, uh, define our relationships is kindness. Kindness. Kindness is connected to compassion. Because it's kindness that actually reveals our compassion. Listen, kindness... Kindness is so powerful, but it's, it's so easy for us to forget just how powerful kindness is. Because when we, think about, when we think about difficult relationships, we think about misunderstandings and mistrust, we think about hostility. You ever notice how kindness can make those things disappear? Kindness can win over the harshest critic. Kindness, kindness can, can change lives. In fact, in Romans chapter 2, this is what scripture says. It says that God's, God's kindness, it leads us to repentance. That means that it's not God's judgment of us that leads us to repentance. It's God's continual kindness that leads us to repentance. In fact, there's a story of the theologian Augustine, a guy who was struggling in life. He was struggling in sin. And he goes to church one day thinking, I need to fix my life. He goes to church and he hears a preacher and he wasn't especially fond of the preacher. The preaching wasn't that great. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? And so he goes to church, and he's like, the preaching's not that great. But for some reason, he kept coming back and kept coming back until finally he had given his life over to Jesus. He'd become a Christian. And years later, they said, listen, Augustine, what was the thing that made a difference in your life that made you finally become a Christian? And he said, I began to listen not because the teaching was great, but because that man was kind to me. It was his kindness that caused him to listen and hear the word of God and give his heart over to him. Listen, do not underestimate the power of you being kind to the people around you. Kindness has tremendous power. Number three, our relationships should be defined by humility. Humility. Humility might be the hardest of all of these for us to put on because it is so contrary to the sin that we're so often blinded by of pride. We are so stuck in our pride of thinking we're great. And this is where humility, humility is more than us just deflecting attention when somebody praises us. It's more than just self-deprecation. Literally, what humility means is it means to be lowly of mind. That is what humility means, to be lowly of mind. And there's, there's two sides that I think help us to understand what humility looks like in relationships. Number one, humility means, uh, to be humble means to have a proper evaluation of ourself. 
For us to be humble, it means that we have a proper evaluation of ourselves. Because let's be honest. When you're alone in the shower, and you're alone in your thoughts, every one of us, we think we're the greatest thing ever, right? When we're alone in our thoughts, we think, man, if everybody would just do things my way, life would be so much easier, right? My knowledge, my experience, my way of thinking, this is the answer. I got it all figured out. Again, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 warns us not to think too highly of ourselves. A proper evaluation of ourselves means that we recognize every one of us, we're bent towards sin and rebellion. Every one of us have weaknesses. Every one of us, we have biases. We are quick to see life through our little filter. So if we're going to be humble in our relationships, we have to have this, this uh, proper evaluation of ourselves to realize maybe I don't have all things figured out. Secondly, if we're going to be humble in our relationships, we have to esteem others more highly than ourselves. Philippians chapter 2. I probably talk about this passage every Sunday because it is my favorite passage of Scripture. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but considers, uh, consider others more significant than yourselves. You ever actually done that? You ever actually thought of others more significant than yourself? Because if you, if you considered other people more significant than yourself, chances are you wouldn't talk the way that we talk. Chances are we wouldn't treat people the way we treat them if we looked at other people and said, you, all of you are more significant than me. We probably wouldn't cut people off. We probably wouldn't roll our eyes at them. We probably wouldn't say mean things to them. We probably wouldn't lash out in anger towards them. Christians, our relationships should be characterized, number four, by meekness. Meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means strength under control. I always give this word picture of, of meekness. Meekness is this really big, strong guy like me. Really big, strong, muscular, buff guy holding a newborn baby. I mean, that, that, that strong, muscly guy, he could squeeze that baby and pop that baby like a pimple. <laughs> but he doesn't. He's gentle. He's sensitive. He's soft. That is this idea of, of, of strength under control. Meekness means that we're willing to take somebody else's feelings into account. You know what that looks like? Meekness means I may be correct. I may be correct, but my concern is not asserting how right I am. I'm willing to make concessions for someone else. Willing, listen, means we're willing to put a relationship over an issue. We've got an issue that we feel like, man, we disagree on, but if I'm choosing to be meek, means I can choose to prioritize that relationship over me being right. Isn't it amazing how quick we are to fight with each other over things that we think we're right. We tear one another apart with vicious things because I'm right. But the question is, how often are we actually fighting with something worth fighting for? 
We stand on these lines and say, I'm right over things that are trivial, that don't truly matter. I mean, the uh, D.L. Moody once said this. He said, our greatest fear should not be failure. Our greatest fear should be succeeding in things in this life that do not really matter. Think about this. How many of us destroy people? Destroy people because we're right and they're wrong. How many of us destroy people over things that don't really matter? Where we have a, we have a culture where we are tearing each other apart because of politics, because of pandemics. We unfriend one another because we've placed our misplaced hope in a presidential candidate instead of eternity, instead of our Savior. Shame on us. Shame on us that we have chosen these trivial matters to be what we're going to stand on to destroy the relationships around us. Shame on us. This is where we've got to have some meekness, where I can have a conviction, I can have an opinion. But unless we're talking about eternity, that relationship is more important than me being right. Meekness doesn't mean we don't always have to be right. That we can have the right answer and still choose to prioritize the relationship. Number five. When we talk about prescription for healthy relationships, our relationships should be defined by patience should be defined by patience. And I would tie in patience with verse 13 that talks about forbearance, to bear with one another. To be patient literally means to be long-suffering. Maybe that's a better word to use, long-suffering, which means we endure with one another. Even when that person has an exasperating conduct that we are long-suffering. We endure with them without losing it, without flying into a rage. Forbearance actually adds to that idea of long-suffering. It's more than just uh, refraining from flying into a rage. It actually means to uphold them, to support them, to encourage them. Which means when we look around, we see people who aren't quite as mature as we are, who haven't reached our level. We choose to be patient and long-suffering with them. Which means when we've got people around us that have weird idiosyncrasies, people are weird, aren't they? People can be weird with some of the things they do. It's easy for us to get mad because they're weird. They don't do things like me. Man, this is where we can practice long-suffering, patience. Prescription for healthy relationships, the sixth quality that should define our relationships is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Verse 13 says, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. See, how quick are we? How quick are we to hold a grudge and harbor bitterness towards other people when they've wronged us? And then we hold on that resentment for a long time, do we not? Some of us have resentment over someone who's done something to us years and years and years ago. We're still holding on to that bitterness. I'm guilty of this. But look, look at the reasoning the Scripture gives us for why we should forgive. Verse 13 says, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Ooh. 
as the Lord has forgiven us. How many times has the Lord forgiven you? Can you count anymore? Or is that number just skyrocketing? As the Lord has forgiven you, so we ought to forgive others. See, forgiveness, forgiveness is a choice. Compassion involves feelings, but forgiveness is a choice. It is a choice we make. That just as God has chosen to absorb the wrongs that we've committed against him, he's chosen to do that. We are called to choose to forgive those who wrong us. No longer allowing there to be this barrier between us. Listen, here's what happens when we make that choice. When we choose to do the right thing, when we choose to forgive, our feelings are going to follow. We, we get in that moment where I just, I don't feel like I can forgive this person. I don't feel it. Listen, when we choose to do the right thing, our feelings will follow. And I would encourage you, if you're not feeling it, man, do something kind for that person. Do something kind for them. Because that's the example of Scripture, right? That God extended forgiveness for us, and he showered us who had wronged him with kindness. And it was his kindness that led us to repentance. Yeah, forgiveness is hard. We choose to do the right thing and watch as the feelings will follow. Prescription for healthy relationships. Number one, our relationships should be characterized by compassion. Characterized by patience, by kindness, by humility, by meekness, by forgiveness, by patience. Number seven, our relationships should be characterized by love. Verse 14 says, Above all, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. Love is kind of the summary of all of these qualities. They, 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 they bring them together and say, this is love. We are to love people. That is what it looks like. That is the, the, the key for us to have healthy relationships is love. Listen, I want to warn you. You don't get to define what love is. Some of us, we've got this warped view of love. And some of us would say, well, the most loving thing I can do is to tell you you're wrong and you're an idiot. It's the most loving thing I can do. That's wrong. That's not true. Paul just defined for us what love is in relationships. Love is characterized by compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness and love. That is what love looks like in relationships. See, this is such a, it's almost a simple text. It kind of preaches itself. But I'm standing here and I'm like, that is so challenging. That is so hard to have our relationships be defined by those things. Let me ask you this. Those seven qualities, how you doing? How are your relationships doing? Are your relationships defined by those things? When you think about the relationships with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your church, with your friends on social media? Are your relationships defined by those things? Listen, just some real practical things to, 
Help every one of us grow in these things. Might I ask you this morning, which of those is the greatest struggle for you? Which of those seven qualities is the greatest struggle for you? When you're looking at your relationships, you can say, man, I think I'm really lacking in this one. Man, I'd even encourage you, looking at maybe someone around you who you love and trust, ask them, hey, which of these characteristics would you say you see the least in my life? Begin to, to look and say, where do I need to, to grow? What do I need to, to do? Man, take, take a week, take a month, and, and prioritize that characteristic, prioritize that quality. Write it down in a piece of paper and put it in a place you'll see it every day. And just to remind yourself, man, I've got to be forgiving. Man, I've got to be kind. Man, I've got to be patient. Do what you can to, to prioritize. When you make that decision, tell someone else and say, would you hold me accountable in this? I need to grow in my patience. Would you help remind me to do this? And let me tell you what, when you blow it, and you will blow it, when you blow it, practice some humility. Go back and apologize. Say, I'm sorry. Listen, I've been trying to grow in my patience, and I realized today I blew up on you and I wasn't very patient. Would you forgive me? There is such a tremendous power that comes when we will own when we have failed. And there's that growth that comes that we can typically go better after we can acknowledge that we have failed in doing that. Now, I know we're talking about healthy relationships, and there's some of us in this room that are saying, great, I love that we're talking about healthy relationships, but, you know, Pastor Kevin, relationships aren't just dependent on me. The other person is involved in that as well. And how can you expect me to do these things when somebody else doesn't do them in return? I'm glad you mentioned that. Just because somebody else doesn't hold their end of the bargain doesn't let us off the hook. I believe what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is I believe he's saying, listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you've placed your faith in Christ, these things should characterize your relationships. Doesn't matter if the other person is there. You are a Christian. These are the things that should characterize you. People should look and be able to see these qualities in your life. And you know what oftentimes happens? And this is true. You know what oftentimes happens? When we say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about the other person. I'm going to be who God has called me to be. Oftentimes, God uses that to begin to change the other person. Where it's not hit for hit. It's not pound for pound. It's not you wrong me. I'm going to wrong you back. It's I'm going to love you this way because God has instructed me to. And God often uses that to change somebody else's life. And even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't change their life, guess what? You are still more godly than you were before. You are still looking more like Christ than you were before. Listen, I hope, as a church, I hope that we will put on these qualities to have healthy relationships around us. But I'll be honest, if I closed right here, this is what it's going to look like for me. I'm going to go home and I'm going to put kindness on my mirror and put it on my dashboard of my car to remind myself to be kind. And I'm going to do it for a couple of days, and then I'm going to get busy, and I'm going to forget, and 
Then we go back to the way things were. Because how often do we fail in our own strength to bring about change in our lives? Because there's a secret to these qualities. There's a secret to these qualities being, being made a reality in our lives. The secret is not trying harder. The secret sauce is something that we actually skimmed over in the text. Look back at verse 12. Paul writes and says, put on them, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is the key to the entire text. In fact, this is the key to our entire faith. It's not us trying harder. It's us recognizing who we are. That's why he says, listen, as God's chosen ones, he calls us his chosen ones. Do you know what that means, that we are his chosen ones? This is one of the most profound ideas throughout all of Scripture, that God chose you. God chose you. He looked over, uh, he, he looked across the, the whole of humanity, across all of humanity, billions of people, and he saw you. With all your warts, with all your faults, with all your sins. He saw you, and despite the fact that you were dead and trespasses and sin, despite the fact that you rebel against God, he chose you. He saw you. He chose to set his love and his affection on you. When you were thumbing your nose at God, when you were saying, I don't care what you say, God chose you. You ever thought about how incredible that is? The fact that God chose you. He chose to send his son Jesus to the cross in your place. He chose to accept the sacrifice of Jesus for your sin. While you were still sinning, before you ever prayed a prayer, God chose you. Listen, God wants you to know you are chosen by him. He says also that you are holy and that you are beloved. To be holy simply means that we are set apart by God. You are set apart by God. Beloved means that you are a special object of God's affection. And so this, this is what Paul's saying. This is who you are. You are chosen by God. You are holy. You are a beloved child of God. And why does it matter? Why does it matter that Paul is saying this is who you are? Because this is a big idea of this entire text. This is what we have to grasp is God's treatment of us is the basis for how we are supposed to treat other people. That God's treatment of us is the basis for how we treat other people. I mean, look what God has done for us. God chose you. God chose us. When we got angry, as we are continuing to be selfish, as we are undeserving, as we fumble through life in our own wisdom, saying, I'm going to make my own thing, I'm going to do it my own way, God still had compassion on us. He had compassion on us. As we've been mean and rebellious towards him, God has chosen still to extend kindness to us. As we become prideful and think we're our own saviors, we don't need God, God has chosen humility anyways. He has still chosen to go to the cross and to suffer in our place. As we're constantly making big deals out of trivial matters, God has chosen 
meekness towards us, prioritizing a relationship above all else. And as we've been continually foolish, God has been patient with us. How many of you have experienced God's patience in your life as you've gone the wrong way again and again and again, and God's grace is patiently waiting for you? See, as Christians, as children of God, man, we are to reflect Him. We're to display Him in our lives and in our relationships. And it's His treatment of us that should be the basis for how we treat other people. 1 John chapter 4 says, As God has loved us, so we ought to love one another. See, if we're going to have strong relationships, if we're going to have healthy relationships, we've got to grasp God's love for us. And that His love is the basis for how we are to love and inter interact with the people around us. Let's pray.